looking at this text in Colossians for some time, and I'm going to run, get back and get a running start at it. And by the way, let me, let me say this. Uh, we began last year, the first quarter of the year, to do doctrines, uh, January, February, and March. And we're going we're gonna to still do that. We're going to shove it over a month. Pick that up in February, March, and April. Uh, it's a little easier on Jonathan to pick up with Practical Christian Living in May, June, July than it is the first part of the year. Although he is going to help me, um, next thing in our doctrinal statement is the, the fall of man. And so he's already actually taught on that some time ago. And I've asked him to pick those notes back up and do that again for us here for too long. But I want to get a running start at this issue in Colossians before us. This is a new year. You know, we've, we've been hearing it for a week now. And um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're like this. Remember, remember going to family reunions when you're, when you're doing, you come up, you know, Christmas or whenever, and people say, my, how you have grown. They say that now, it's not a compliment. Okay. Right? Or, my, I didn't realize you'd lost so much hair. Or, okay. That's, that's, that's the way it is. Or, or do, we, do we say that, though, spiritually? We don't, we don't know that looking at somebody, do we? We could ask the question, uh, how, how much have you grown spiritually in 2023? Or, to put it in a broader way, how much more do you look like Christ than last year? I used to teach, my sister sings well. and She sang one service in church and I got up and I said, um, when the Lord was passing out musical talent, my, my, adult, my sister was standing in that line. I was standing in the good looks line. And one of my guys came up to me and said, I got news for you. You didn't get served in the line you were in. <laughs> you were in the wrong line. Right? We all need to grow spiritually, don't we? Mm. All of us would admit that. Not one of us don't, don't begin the year or shouldn't begin the year with some kind of desire to, to be more like the Lord, to, to know His Word more. We get challenged by that. and We, we start out with good intentions, don't we? Yeah, we, 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 we get the checklist off and we'll, we'll do it for a month or so or, and we'll miss a day and we'll miss two days and then we get discouraged and we just... I mean, I got used to have them. I mean, I used to have stacks of these cards and you could look and you can see along about March they start spreading out and they start getting less and less and, and it's not long until I'm not doing it. It's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. You would think after walking with the Lord 30, 40, 50 years that you would think, man, you, you, you got it. You got it. You got to have, you, you got the discipline down. You, you spend time in the Word. You, you know things about the Lord. And, and I mean, how much more do you have to learn? And the more I learn, realize I don't know anything. Yes. Or more I learn, my flesh is a lot more powerful than I think it is. Or I'm not nearly as much looking like Christ as I thought I was. Isn't, isn't it amazing as the Lord puts us in those trials and those pressure cookers that it really reveals the issues of our heart that are still lingering in there? You know, they're called about the hot water test. It reveals what's in the tea bag. 
And sometimes the Lord has put us in those types of situations and it, it brings out those things and we realize, mm-mm, that part of me is still there. It's, it's, it's a little bit deeper than it was, but it's still, it's still there. Our text is actually found in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then we'll move on to putting on love and the peace of Christ and the word of Christ and then living that out in verse 17. But we need to start by reminding us of our position, and that's what he does in verse 12, put on as God's chosen ones. It reminds us of our position. And then it reminds us of our pursuit in life. What is it to be our passion? This is, what he's dealing with here is the issue of sanctification. From justification to glorification, we are in the progress of sanctification, being made increasingly holy, being made increasingly like Him, like Christ. But Paul reminds us of some facts that we need to be reminded of in verse 12 that I'm actually going to go back to the beginning of the chapter and even earlier to remind us of some indicative statements that he has made. Made something similar in verse 1, Brother Harry read for us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. If, if. He's not calling it into question, but he is saying, if, if this has happened to you, then these things are true. You could say, since these things have happened to you, that these things are true. But he, he's asking it as a question, and we could, say it, we could say it that way. If you truly know the Lord, then there are some things that you need to know that are true about you. It's true about your sanctification. It's true about your redemption. Your, there are some things that are true. But if you don't know the Lord, they're not true. You don't have those. You're not one of God's beloved. You're not holy and beloved. You're not one of God's chosen if you don't know the Lord. This is an if statement. If, if that happened or since that has happened or this is true. And notice it says in verse 1 there, if you have been raised with Christ. If you're a believer, you were raised with Christ. Your life, in verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There it is. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. I am now hidden in Christ. That's my, that's my life now as a believer. That's who I am. This is my life. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is my life, appears. He's, he's my life. He's my, he's, he's, my, he's my everything. And when He appears, I will appear with Him in, in glory. That's the facts. You died with Christ, you rose with Christ. And in so in doing so, you laid aside the old self and you've put on the new self. Look down at verse 8. And now you must put them all away. <laughs> Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I don't read that verse. I don't think of Romans 
chapter 12, um, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, is that right? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship, or King James says, your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. How? How is this going to happen that I'm not conformed? By the renewing of your mind. We're changing our thinking. That by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the process of putting off and putting on. You've been chosen by God, holy and beloved. Put on then these things. Or therefore put on these things. We are to become in experience what we have been declared to be in fact. You've been chosen by God to be holy and beloved. We are the elect of God. We were chosen before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. When He died in Christ, when He rose, now to be in Christ is our new life. Turn back to Romans chapter 6. And, you know, a question pops up in our mind that, that even Paul is answering here that, that we recognize there's a struggle still going on. This battle, this war, and I mentioned this a couple messages ago, we actually have two wars. Ephesians tells us to be, have the armor of God on in, in the sense that we're fighting against principalities, against powers, about the rulers of darkness and in heavenly places. But there's another war going on with inside my members. The things that I, I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. There's this, 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 this dual issue going on that I'm still, still fighting to be free. In Romans chapter 6, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. Now if you have died with Christ, we believe that we are also alive with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourself, what does it say? Dead to sin. That doesn't, that doesn't mean not affected by it. It doesn't, doesn't mean that as Paul says, sin reigns in these mortal flesh. This, these things are a wretched man that I am. There's still, there's still a sin issue going on in me. But I'm, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God in Christ. Let no longer sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passion. There it is. It's an obedience issue. We've been freed from it, but we, we still, as I said, Wednesday night, and I've said before, it's, it's like an old pair of jeans I have. I've got an old pair of jeans that I've had for years, and they're worn in the right places, they bulge in the right place, and they got thin knees. In fact, they're so thin, they're just about paper thin. If I don't, I'm not careful the way I put my foot in the leg, I'll rip it open. It's, it's that thin. My son gave me some new jeans, Lee, Lee jeans, Sansa belt Lee jeans, okay? They, they actually grow with you, I guess. Okay? I don't like it. I told him I didn't like it. I'll grow to like 
because the other one's going to fall apart one day, right? Okay. But what I'm saying is, this, 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 this old flesh, this old self, man, I like my old jeans. And some of you wore them for a long time. And that's what we're comfortable in. And you had an anger problem, or you, 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 you had whatever problem it was, and that was your life for 30, 40 years, or like me, 8 or 10. And I like those jeans, and they, I will default to those jeans. Just like my self-defaults. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. It doesn't reign in me. It doesn't, it's not that power in me anymore. Picking up in verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one in whom you obey? Stop. Slave to your job. Slave to making money. Slave to something. Or slave to Christ. You're once slaves to sin. Picking up back in verse 16, you are slaves of the one in whom you obey. Either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, he, that you who were once dead of sins became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have been committed. And having been set free from sin, having become, I'm now I'm slaves of righteousness. There is no middle ground, by the way. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You're either a slave to Satan or you're a slave to God. There is no in-between, as some like to teach, that we enter the world as some kind of in-between, neuter person that figures it out and either we become of God, no, We're sinners by birth and by nature. But we've been set free in Christ, having become now slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? Sanctification. There's our word. When you were slaves to sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were not now ashamed? You're ashamed of your old life. I look back at that. Again, I, was slaved, I saved it at a young age, but I still look back at things that... I don't anybody know about that. I can imagine those who have been saved later in life. I mean, life, your, your life before coming to Christ was just, and you look back at that, and you thank the Lord for saving from that, but I'm ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. 
for the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are facts. It's our position. You're, if you have come to Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, if you're in Christ, that's our position now. Verse 12, put on as God's chosen ones. And those are, that's God's choice. God's the one who does the choosing. He chooses. Now we're called holy and beloved, now it leads to our pursuit. This leads to the imperatives that we find here, not only in this text, but even prior to this. This leads to the imperatives to consider, to put aside, to put on, to put off, uh, to let peace rule, to let the Word of Christ dwell. All of these are imperatives in this whole text, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. But all these commands are based on facts. This is the basis and reality of our sanctification. We have been justified before God. We have been born unto God. God's family regenerated and now live in, in, the, in, the, in, in the process of becoming more holy. We live in the progress of becoming more holy. Less like us and more like the Lord, right? One writer says we have a new identity. A new identity is Christ. Our new identity is Christ. Christ is all and in all. Christ is the universal object of love and worship. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Previous identities don't exist. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get down to verse, back up to verse 11 in just a moment. God, by sovereign grace, chose you to be in Christ so that when Christ died, you were spiritually in Christ in the purposes of God. You died in His death. You arose in His resurrection. You are now alive in Christ as a new creation in union with the Son of God. You were empowered to put off the remnants of the old life and put on the elements in, of the new and righteous life. This is the process of sanctification. It is putting off and putting on. It is progressively the work of the Word and the power of the Spirit conforming you to be more to the image of Christ. These are our commands. These are the things that we are commanded to do. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians just a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Back up to verse 3 again. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the process of making or becoming holy, to be set apart. This is God's plan. This is God's design. His, your sanctification is the plan and design of your elders. 
as we put together what we're going to preach about, we do want you to learn some things. There is, a, there is an issue of knowledge that we are transformed by what we know. I do want you to learn some things. I do want you to know some things. But I don't want you to be enamored by just the knowing part. I want the knowing part leading to transformation as we do in our own Bible study, right? It's not just to learn the text. It's not just to see it, but it's to behold it, to say, Lord, how does this apply to me? How will this make me more like you? And yet we find it easier just to read the text, right? We find it easier to drag our eyes off the page, across the page. We find it easier to check the block off and, and not really get into the text to realize what's being confronted. This is the problem for preachers. There are times that we approach the text as a text, as a book to understand, as, as, a, as a design to be able to capture, to look up new things. It's, it's always interesting around Christmas, the stuff that comes out that's new, that we've never heard of. Man, I'd never heard those guys came from that part of the country. I'd never heard they came in. And maybe a reason you never heard of it, it ain't true. Or maybe we've embellished the song. Maybe we've made it bigger than it is. But we do want you to learn things, but that's not where it starts. That's not, that's not the end. We want you to see you transform. Well, that's the design there of, of, of the elders here, but for all shepherds of the flock of God. That we want to see the sheep grow. Think of it that way. Think of... Uh, a shepherd who comes to you who has some lambs and he puts them in your care and says, I want you to take care of these and when I return, I'll come back and hold you accountable for them. What do you want them to look like when he comes back? Uncared for? Skinny? Not producing? Or do you want them happy sheep? Full of wool and They've been taken care of, okay? Well, your elders, let's, by the way, let me remind you, your elders stand, we will stand and give an account for you. We want to do it, Scripture says, that they may do that with joy and not with grief. There are sometimes there are some sheep that don't want to, they don't want to get along. You think of the sheep the Lord talks about, and by the way, I, I said this one time, I said it many times, and I really offended somebody, sheep are stupid. Okay, guess what we are, and I said I said you, but it is we. We all are stupid. We think we know things that we don't know. We we think we know what we really need, and we put ourselves in the hand of the good shepherd who takes care of us. My dad sometime would loan his car out. In fact, back at when he was at Bob Jones College, he had one of the only cars back in the early, late 1930s, early 40s, and he would, he would not really rent it out, but he'd give it out to the preacher boys who were going out to preach. And Dr. Paul Van Gorder was one of those guys. He used to be with the radio Bible class, and they would borrow, borrow Dad's car. And Dad would just say, bring it back better than you found it, okay? I don't want to find your cups and your trash underneath my seat. I want you to, I want you to take care of it, okay? And, and through life, if we had to borrow something, Daddy hated borrowing anything, but if we borrowed something, if we borrow a shovel from you, I promise you there'll be no dirt on it when we take it back. It's going to be taken care of. The Lord has entrusted us with some sheep. 
turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I'm going to refer back to this text in just a moment. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave the, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the flesh, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. Stop there. If you ask a pastor what's the most grieving thing in his life, it's to find out that people have gone after false doctrine. They've fallen for some wind or waves or current, some blowing, something new that's coming along, and they've fallen for it, and they've gone head over heels of it. I would say, I say this carefully, we may bear some of the responsibility for that. Have we taught you? Have we taught you how to identify error? Have we taught you the truth? Have we? Are we? But putting it back on us, where it belongs as an individual, are we growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord? Are we desiring to be transformed like that? The Word and the Spirit does the work we're the ones who have the responsibility to distribute the Word so that the Holy Spirit can, uh, can, can use the Word for the sanctification of God's people, one elder said. It's not the first time Paul's mentioned this. Look back at Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 28. He's made mention of this as his desire. As he's talking to Epaphras and saying this is his desire, but we're going to find out it's Epaphras' desire as well. Look at uh, chapter 1. Look at verse, what well, begin in verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great uh, among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. Perfect. Complete in all parts. Full and full of age. And Paul says in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all my energy, that He powerfully works in me. What was He toiling for? For the maturity of the believers. <coughs> Struggling to be striving with all my energy to the point of sweat and exhaustion. Can I say that your elders sweat over the text? We better. But we sweat and we shed tears and we struggle for you. And it's, it's, we're going to talk about a uniformity in just a moment, but we also understand that in any, in any sheep herd, you're going to have lambs and you're going to have adult ones. And you can apply that spiritually. You're going to have those that are just gotten into the, fle 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 uh, to the faith. Okay? And you got those that have walked with the Lord, okay? And we got to take care of both. 
remember going to a conference one time and I mean the preacher he, he was waxing eloquent I mean he was just up there and I turned to his uncle who was sitting with me and I said well that was over about 90% of the people's heads in here and he goes well us giraffes need to be fed every once in a while well there are times like that Colossians chapter 4, I said this was Epaphras' desire as well. Chapter 4 verse 12, Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand, what? Mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Complete, perfect, full-grown, fully assured to the full measure of to fulfill, to be fully persuaded, if you would. Or turn back, as I mentioned, this is Paul's desire. Turn back to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Start reading in verse 18. For it is also good to be made much uh, for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, they may not know it now in colleges, but I have never had a baby. Okay? Men don't. I don't... I don't I don't understand about the anguish of childbirth. I've heard about it. I've heard some of you describe it. I'm glad I don't do it. If it would have been up to man, there wouldn't be any. There'd be no children left. But he says, I'm willing to suffer the anguishes of labor pains until Christ is fully formed in you. You want to keep your elders up? That. That's what keeps them up. And like any other sheep herd that you're going to have, you're going to find some that wander off, you're going to find some that stumble, you're going to find some that fall. What's our job? To pick them up, to take care of them, to get them back on their feet. That's part of the shepherd's. That's the, that's the, that's the shepherd's job. And as I mentioned, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, as I mentioned, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's our calling. That's our assignment. Our, our goal is to bring you to mature statue. Or one more in, in Philippians chapter 3. Again, you know, this, is, this is a serious thing upon Paul's heart. In, in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm any perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made myself my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward of what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
That's to be our mindset. Our goal is to be more like Christ. We're striving. We're pressing on towards that goal, that prize of that upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the way we think. And if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. If that's not your focus, God's going to take care of that. God, God will say, no, that's, you're, you're going off. You're wrong. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. The objective of any pastor, any teacher in the kingdom of God is the sanctification of people in his care responsibility to be an instrument of God by which you aid the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing the saints into conformity to Christ, to Christ's likeness, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our calling. So how's that done? Well, what's my eyes to be on? What, am I, what are my eyes to be set on? Well, we could go, and we are, Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our saints, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our eyes are to be set on him. And sanctification demands that. He is our identity. He is our example. But we live in a church age today, folks, that is less and less interested in sanctification. There's little interest in holiness. Little interest in maturity. Little interest in Christ-likeness. More interested maybe in emotionalism or superficial and shallow things or more importantly to them, entertainment of self-centered worship that it becomes about me and not about God. Or the churches delve into social gospel or liberalism creeps in. Once we, listen, once we lose sight of Christ and being like Him, we open the door, the floodgates, to everything else that comes in. Once we lose sight of, personally, as our walk with the Lord, that, that I am to grow today in my knowledge, in my union with Christ, once we lose sight of that, the Bible's closed, and everything else takes precedence. Two thousand nineteen, this is this is how far it can go. Two thousand nineteen at Union Theological Seminary on September the seventeenth, <clears throat> the students gathered for a confession time to express their grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow to plants. You look it up, they got a whole square here of plants, ferns and stuff. And they brought them in to confess their grief, joy, repent, hope, guilt, and sorrow to plants. That's in Union Theological Seminary. Ridiculous. 
But it's also ridiculous what we replace the Lord with too, isn't it? Maybe, maybe, maybe one of the reasons we lose sight of the checklist is we find things more important than becoming like Christ. We find the ball game more important. And I like ball games. But they can't take precedent. It's Christ. So we've had a change of position. We are now in Christ. We are now God's chosen ones. We have a change of pursuit. We're no longer pursuing ourselves and the things we want. We are pursuing Christ, which means there's a process of putting off and putting on. We're going to talk about it. And we put off these things. And the word, and I'll talk about it in a minute when we talk about putting on, it's sliding into the clothes off. That's what it means. So the putting off is the taking off the garb. It's to, it's to take it off, to get it off of ourselves. We only do that by the power of the Spirit. But that becomes our pursuit. And how many times have we got to take this off? I wish it was once. I wish we only had to take that anger problem off once. But we find it's easy to pick it up again, isn't it? But that's our pursuit. Our position has changed. Our pursuit has changed. It's no longer about us. It's like the Lord. But lastly, I look what I'm going to talk about this morning, and we'll pick it up this in, in second service. Our perspective has changed. Our identity is found in Christ. We are we died with Christ. We're risen with Christ. Our, we are in Christ. We are one body. We are one people in Christ. And we find that in verse 11, something else changes. Look at verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. What's he talking about? Well, we're new creations. We're new creatures, right? We've been born again. We have a, a new father and, and a new family. We have new brothers and sisters of whom we are united. We are the church. We are all being renewed to this true knowledge, verse 10, and putting on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's, 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 that's the life we live and this is the group that we're living it with. This ob the objective of Christ's likeness, being renewed by the power of the Spirit and by the power of the Word. 2 Corinthians 3, don't turn here, verse 18 reminds us, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. We are all being transformed. But it's easy to divide up, isn't it? I grew up here in the South. I can remember signs of whites only.
I can remember felons coming to our church that weren't welcome. It's easy to divide about those things, isn't it? But notice, look, look at verse 11. Here, there is not Greek or Jew. Now, those four words, here, there is not, is actually only two words in the Greek. And it actually reads, here, not. Or, we could turn it around if you want. Not here. There may be Greek and Jew, there are. There may be circumcised and uncircumcised. There are. There may be barbarian Scythians. There is. There, 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 there is slave and free. That's true, but not here. Not here. Distinction that the world and the culture puts on us by race and ethnicity and economics and position and rank, not here. Not here. Look over at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. I'll start my reading in verse... 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. These are the facts. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring's heir according to the promise. Not here. Maybe out there, but not here. Jew, Greek, not here. Slave and free, not here. Male, female, not here. You are all one in Christ. Look back over also with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and is raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Categories don't apply. Why? Because we're all one. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Turn back to our text. These were, some will say, well, the United States is the most racist country in the world. It's not, by any stretch of imagination. <coughs> but racism isn't just here, and it is here. 
It's also around the world. You, you even see it in Zimbabwe among the Africans. Many of them are Shauna and some are Intabili and some they won't talk to each other. In fact, if you're half Shauna and half Intabili, they call you a half-half. I can't tell them apart. You know, they can at sight. They can at sight. It's everywhere. But here, look at this text. Man, you talk about talk about racism or you talk about division he, he put it here we know about the Greek and the Jew we can, we can identify we understand those are our heirs of the promise and those who are not but I want to pick up with barbarians who were the barbarians we also can know circumcised and uncircumcised those that were in the promise and those that are not but what about this other categories of barbarians and Scythians barbarians were nomadic people they were considered subhuman I would sometimes you need to look this up Fascinated with people. Very uneducated. They were considered lowlifes. They traveled. They didn't live in cities. They were very uncouth people. And the Lord saved some of them. And they came to the church. And you can imagine walking in going, that's a barbarian. Not here, he's not. It's a brother or sister in Christ here. Or Scythian. They think they came from Iran, but they were from China to Eastern Europe. Really concentrated, they said, in Siberia and Russia. Militar militarily, they were not to be messed with. They were dangerous and very deadly. At the height of their power was somewhere between 900 B.C. and 200 B.C. Some say that they were the forefathers to the Huns and the Mongols. How rough were they? They drank the blood of the first enemy killed in a battle. And this was funny. They never washed. So you're mean and you stink. Okay. You probably smell them coming. Right? Okay. Can you imagine one of those coming in? Maybe you still hadn't taken a bath. He's a Scythian, not here. Not here. It's my brother. Christ. slave or free, obviously. They say around the time of Paul's writing here that census say there were about a million people in Rome. Of those, about 300,000 to 350,000 were slaves. Slaves were owned. They were often the captives of the countries that they overtook. They were owned. They were traded. They were beaten. They were killed. They were used as soldiers. Sometimes the soldiers were revolted against Rome. Remember Spartacus? It was one of the slaves that wrote the slave revolt in Rome. You can imagine Jew being in there. And this comes walking in. 
slave or free? How about, how about if you were the owner? How about if one ran away? Yeah. What did Paul say? Send him back. Philemon, send him back. And if anything's owed, put it on my account. Right? But you're to treat him as a brother. Slave free? Not here. All that matters is Christ is all and in all. This single identity of every believer is in Christ. But not here. One writer says we have a new identity. Our new identity is Christ. Our new identity is Christ. Christ is all and in all. Christ is the universal object of our love and our worship. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Previous identity, identifications or identities don't exist. Not here. Not here. Another writer... The old identification, they're gone. They're passed away. Everything's become new. Paul is now transformed that he has lost all his original hatred for Christ. Talking about Paul back in the book of Acts. If you were to go back to his road on the road to Damascus, and he's talking about Paul's prejudice and hatred of Christ. All that was, it was gone. Paul was transformed. He lost all that original hatred for Christ and all of his vicious prejudice against Christians. Remember, he was gathering them for what? Yeah, that killed him. His view had changed dramatically, hadn't it? He loves the one he hated. He loves the people who love the one he hated. Everything changes as we, as a newly created children of God, created by our Heavenly Father, spiritually put into His family. We don't see each other in human categories any longer. This is not how we define our people. We are all one in Christ as Christ collectively put aside the old, the ugly sins of social injustice, prejudice, resentment, jealousy, hatred, racism, whatever. They don't exist. They're not in the church. This guy goes on to say, I know a lot of people are interested in all their ancestral stuff. And they love to trace it back. Ours goes back to Christ. Yes. That's when we were a new creation. The writer goes on to say, I thank the Lord for all the people at our church. They're in Christ. Christ is in them. So I don't, I don't care what your ethnic background is, what your social story is. doesn't matter to the Lord. doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to us what your economics are, what your education is. Doesn't matter what your crimes you've committed in the past. Doesn't matter what you're new. It doesn't matter because you're new in Christ. This is God's family. And those distinctions do not exist here. Not here. 
that's where we're going to stop because we're going to come back in a little bit to pick up what then are we to put on. Let me close it out this way. First of all, are you in Christ? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you one of His? If not, you can know about that today. I invite you to come talk to us. We would love to share with you Christ and all that He is. If you're a believer, you're new in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All of it's new. And if you're not growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, if you're not pursuing the Lord, if you're not putting off and putting on, you're a malnourished sheep. And we'd love to see you grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. A big one that's going to be coming up, I can tell already, and I know it already because I've done this a long time, is verse 13, forgiving each other. But that's the putting off. I remember my dad saying one time, saw a Japanese person and he bowed up. And I being one who did not live through World War II, or one who had his own first cousins eaten by some of the Japanese soldiers, said, Dad, Dad that's the wrong feeling towards them. And he snapped back at me. He said, son, you didn't live the time that I lived. It wasn't a few days later that my dad came back in tears, asked me to forgive him over this text. You've got to quit identifying people like that. Not here. And I need to praise the Lord by here. Not here. Father, we thank you for the amazing grace of our Lord. Father, we thank you for we are in you. We died with you, that we rose with you. And now you are in us. Now we are in Christ. of God's chosen ones holy and beloved Father thank you for changing us for pursuing us for chasing us down for drawing us unto yourself for saving us and some you didn't have to chase too far but others you chased sometimes for years But Lord, who you pursue, they will come. My sheep hear my voice and they will come to me. It may take a minute. It may take a day or a year, but they're coming. Thank you for the power of the convicting power of the Spirit. But for us as believers, the majority of us would say that we are yours. We are in Christ. 
Father, just in this text, is there is there still remaining in us any any hint of still dividing people? Lord, I pray that you would keep that from here. And Lord, that you would fill this place with all types of people. All types of Christians that love you. And that we would look like the kingdom. Father, continue to conform us. Continue to to use the Word and the Spirit of God in us to transform us to be less like us and more like You. And Lord, I pray that that's our passion. We, we enter a year with, with good intentions. We do. But it's not long until cares of the world start creeping in. Father, I pray for the elders of Providence that you would make it our passion and our care, that we care for the sheep, that we want to see them grow and mature and not driven by every wind of doctrine that comes down the road, that they know what they believe and why they believe it, that they find their sufficiency in the Word and in you. Father, continue to use us that way. Continue to grow us. Continue to mature us to the point of perfection as it would fully matured in Christ and Lord thank you for your patience with me not only simply as a believer but as as an under shepherd Father I pray that I would never lose sight of what my calling is and what it's not Father, that we would bow the knee to him who is worthy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.